everyone and welcome to episode 545 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. What have you been up to this week? I have, well, I've been trying to get out of the house more. Yes, because one thing that I used to do all the time, but really have not done for years now, is network. Of course, the pandemic did not help that at all. And it, you know, got me out of the habit of going out of the house at all. Now, I know when I say the word network, some people shudder and simply hate the idea. If you're one of those people, I get it. I used to be the same. But then over a period of time, I went to a few networking functions that were just really well run and there was nothing stressful or sleazy or salesy about any of them. The hosts just knew how to create a lovely environment where you could connect in a really enjoyable and a really authentic way. And that's when I realized what networking was really about. It's not about going up to somebody and swapping business cards or anything like that, you know, or pitching them your, your, your novel as soon as you've met them. It's, well, it's exactly what I said before. It's just meeting people and connecting in an enjoyable and authentic way. And it applies no matter what your profession is, of course. I mean, it applies to writers or artists or business people or whoever. As a writer, it's also about being part of the writing community. It's how doors will open for you. It's how you get opportunities. And the best thing is that as a writer, you're in the best possible place for this across any industry. It's just the writing industry is fantastic. Everyone, and I mean everyone will tell you how wonderful and supportive and welcoming the Australian book writing community is. And it's true. As a journalist, I've been to many networking events across many different industries, and I've deep dived into some of those industries, especially in the worlds of banking and entrepreneurship and technology, oh my goodness, and real estate. And I can say for sure that the writing community is on another level when it comes to how welcoming and supportive it is. So you're really in a great place to start networking. Can you succeed without networking? Sure. But even if you're the most talented writer around, I can tell you that you'll succeed faster, much faster, and with more ease than if you didn't network. And you'll also have a higher chance of success than if you didn't network. So your chances are improved if you bother to network. So where would you go? One easy entry point is book launch events. They're a wonderful entry point and they're often, but not always, but you know, they're often in bookshops. So you'll be in a familiar environment that you like and you kind of can pretend to go look at a book if you really feel uncomfortable or something, but also writing courses and workshops. I mean, even if it's an online writing course or workshop, you can connect with people online, which many of us are so used to now, thanks to social media. And there are students who connect during our courses and then some of them self-organize after the course and continue meeting. Some meet in person, others over Zoom, others have created a chat group on Discord or Slack. And of course, you can connect at places like, you know, conferences. I think that's a great place, conferences and festivals, which I've spoken about before. Festivals more so if it's a slightly smaller festival, but conferences are brilliant. 
But remember, don't expect to meet someone and think that you've got to get an incredible golden ticket connection on your first go. That's not how it works. It's about nurturing genuine and authentic relationships. And you typically reap the rewards of that over time, not immediately. I was recently chatting to Megan White, who is one of our graduates of creative writing stage one and a number of other courses here at the Australian Writer Centre. Now, when you graduate from uh, one of the creative writing courses, you go into a graduate group on Facebook, which is only open to those graduates. And I looked up an old post. Well, not that old. I mean, it was back in 2000, 2021. And she posted that she was looking for a beta reader for her adult fantasy novel. And she was happy to return the favour to, you know, whoever um, beta read, read her book. And Madeline Taehu who of course is also a graduate because it's a group only for graduates, responded that she'd be happy to read Megan's book. They connected, they chatted for a while, and then they started giving each other feedback on their novels. So they were networking, even though it was online and they hadn't met each other at the time. The results are amazing. Madeline's novel was published earlier this year, The Assassin's Thief. And uh, my colleague Nicole just finished reading it actually today and she said that she absolutely loved it. And Megan's novel, The Anatomy of Songs, will be out on the 1st of July. And how awesome is this? Madeline introduced Megan to her publisher. So networking, everyone. It works. Or rather, remember, just reframe it as making connections and developing authentic relationships. Now, let's move on to our writing tip this week. I read an inspirational quote this week that made me smile. It's from prolific American romance writer Lee Michaels. Lee said, Waiting for inspiration is like standing at the airport waiting for a train. Or as my former co-host and best-selling author, Alison Tate, used to say, the muse might be stuck in traffic, so I better start without her. The reality is that writing is not about inspiration, or not really. It's about sitting down and actually writing. After decades of writing her own books and teaching creative writing, Pamela Freeman, who's our Director of Creative Writing here at the Australian Writers' Centre, explains the reality of writing. This is what she said. To be a professional writer, you need more than inspiration. First, you need a commitment to actually writing regularly. I can't tell you the number of people who say, I've always wanted to write a book if only I had the time. Well, that's not how it works. We find time for the things we think are important. How do you know you're a writer? Writers write. It's that simple. So that's Pamela's words of wisdom. If you're not sure how you can make time to write, well, we actually have a course that will teach you just that, of course. Our course, Make Time to Write, was created by Alison Tate to help you kickstart your writing habit. And you can check it out at writercentercomau slash time. In fact, that course, along with 35 other courses, are currently at a super special low price in our 30 June sale. There are so many courses to choose from depending on what you're interested in or what will help you achieve your writing goals. If you, you know, like want to enter the lucrative world of romance writing, check out the course Romance Writing. If you're writing historical fiction, there's a course exactly about that called Historical Fiction. If you want to write chapter books for kids, there's 
writing chapter books for six to nine-year-olds. Or if you want to check out Kate Forsyth's brilliant course on finding your voice, check out Dare to Dream because you'll certainly dare to dream after you do that course. But there's also, you know, technical craft courses, like if you're struggling with understanding point of view, then have a look at the course Fiction Essentials Point of View. And for something a bit different, if you need help with getting your own author website online, check out your author website. As I said, there are 35 courses to choose from, all at a special price because of 30 June. And they're up to 40% off. So don't miss it. Um, Even if you're not ready to do the course now, don't worry, you'll have 12 months access to the course. So you can start the course at any time. You can make sure you get it now at at the special price and then do it when you're ready. So just go to writerscentercomau slash sale. That's writercentercomau slash sale. And you have until, well, 30 June (laughs) to get the special prices. Let's move on to our competition this week. We have three copies of Feast by Emily O'Grady. Okay, set in an atmospheric Scottish manner, this week's giveaway is a recipe for tension and drama, a dysfunctional family and dark secrets being brought to light. Things just aren't always as they seem. So we're giving away three copies of Feast by Emily O'Grady. Here's the blurb. Alison is an actress who no longer acts. Patrick, a musician past his prime. The eccentric couple live an isolated, debauched existence in an old manor house in Scotland, a few miles outside their village. That is until Patrick's teenage daughter, Neve, flees Australia to spend a year abroad with her doting, if unreliable, father and the stepmother she barely knows. On the weekend of Neve's 18th birthday, her father insists on a special feast to mark her coming of age. Despite Neve's objections, her mother Shannon arrives in Scotland to join the celebrations. What none of them know is that Shannon has arrived with a hidden agenda that has the potential to shatter the delicate facade of the loving, if dysfunctional, family. All right, well, we have three copies to give away. Entries close on the 26th of June. Just go to writercentre.com.au slash win for your chance to win. So that's writercentercomau slash win. And don't worry if you're at that URL in the future because you're listening to this in a back catalogue or something like that, there'll be some other fantastic competition for you to enter. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I hope you are because it's that time of the episode The word of the week this week is stertorous. Have you ever heard of that? Stertorous. That's S-T-E-R-T-O-R-O-U-S. Stertorous. Do you know what it is? Well, it is uh, characterised by heavy snoring or breathing heavily or noisily. So you could say Darth Vader is a stertorous character in the Star Wars universe. There you go. Stertorous. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're serious about completing your own novel manuscript, immerse yourself in our inspiring and motivational six-month program, Write Your Novel. Filled with weekly workshopping and practical lessons, you'll receive advice on structure, dialogue and balance, as well as tips on publishing. 
This online program fits around your weekly schedule and you'll find extensive personal feedback from your tutor and classmates throughout the program. Find out more at writercentre.com.au slash novelwriting. Now let's move on to our writer-in-residence this week. Today, I'm talking to Carolyn Swindell. She is a writer, producer and comedian from Sydney, following a career that spanned two decades in corporate, politics and professional sport. She turned her attention to writing and did countless courses at the Australian Writers' Centre. Her short story, Brief Encounter, was published in Lonely Planets, The Kindness of Strangers and has been turned into an award-winning short film, Tango Underpants, which is currently being turned into a feature film. Her narrative journalism has appeared in most major publications in Australia and internationally. Carolyn's first solo stand-up show was shortlisted for Best Comedy at the Sydney Fringe Festival, and her second solo show completed a sold-out season at the Enmore Theatre as part of the Sydney Comedy Festival. And now she's written a brilliant novel, We Only Want What's Best. Thanks so much for joining us today, Carolyn. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited. Oh, my God. Congratulations <laughs> on your debut novel. We only want what's best. I have so many questions about this, so many questions about your journey to get here. But this is a page turner. Oh, it's not a thriller per se, but it has this incredible pacing and this incredible unfolding of a story that has so many layers to it, so many nuances to it. But Let's give you the opportunity to tell listeners what this book is about. Well, thank you for those kind words. I'm so thrilled to hear those. So it's set on a plane between Sydney and Los Angeles and follows a group of young dancers and their two mothers. There's a father there involved too, but the, uh, the story is primarily about the mothers. And the mothers are both ambitious for themselves and for their daughters. And in the course of the flight, uh, someone finds a USB with images of one of the girls on it and is not sure whether this is images of a child being exploited and in danger of sort of sexual exploitation or whether it's just art and, and a product of the sexualisation of the dance world. So she's got for the duration of the flight to try to work out what's going on there, factor in some free booze on board and some pharmaceuticals and, and, and she starts to feel like the walls are closing in around her. So it's a discussion about art and about class and it's about money and who gets to decide what's art and who has to just suck that decision up and think, well, I don't really like it, but I can see that you say that's what it is. And about parenting and how we judge, how parents judge one another's parenting all the time. Yes, there's so there are so many themes in this, and as I said, it is multi-layered, and so I am so interested to know, and and it also encompasses so many things that that are in the zeitgeist at the moment, um, about cancel culture, about you know, as you say, the sexualization of images, especially of young girls, um, and so many things. Where did you get the idea? Like, where did it start? <laughs> So I, I, I was really fascinated with a couple of things. You probably remember the photographer Bill Henson some years ago yes. and he had an exhibition and 
uh, of of photographs of uh, just sort of around uh, puberty age girls, and um, there was massive upcry, outcry. The prime minister got involved. It was Kevin Rudd at the time that there were really two camps: people saying this is art, and other people saying this is a disgrace and this is this is pedophilia. And I'm not a particularly visual person, and so I don't. I, I rely a lot on other people interpreting art for me before I can see it and, and, and the like. So I wasn't really sure, but it seemed amazing to me that everybody else was so sure on what they thought about this. And I could really see both sides of, of the discussion there. So there was that. And then there was also another time around about then I went to Mona, the Museum of Old and New Art down in Tasmania, which is an extraordinary experience. Um, and only a fool would go there with a small child. And uh, <laughs> this fool went there with a small child. Um, <laughs> so I spent quite a lot of time running around trying to make sure that this toddler of mine wasn't destroying everybody else's experience. But it meant that I wasn't able to connect with the art in the way that I should. And there's some really provocative stuff down there. It's absolutely incredible. And, you know, you're not meant to like it all. You're meant to, you're meant to think as from it. So, um, but I did, I found it a very isolating experience. And I did find on a number of occasions, I thought, I don't get it. And I feel like if I say I don't get it, then that will make me a peasant. And, and so I found that a really isolating social experience. So there were a couple of these things that came together there and I started to think, what would I do confronted with a situation like this if I couldn't ask for advice from anyone, if I just had to rely on my own ability to assess this, this art and this situation that I felt completely alone? And so I thought, well, up until recently when you couldn't get Wi-Fi on flights, that really one of the only places that you can go on earth at the moment and you can't access the information that you want is on a plane. So I wanted to set it in a situation where this woman was completely on her own. Wow. And also it's such a great device because each chapter, and this is, I'm an anti-spoiler person, so don't worry, there are no spoilers in this podcast, is each chapter is, you know, 14 hours and 37 minutes, 13 hours and, you know, 23 minutes, whatever. So there's this inherent countdown as well, which is very clever. Um, but you wanted to sit on the plane. You knew you had these themes, but how about the rest, the the dance um, aspect? Are you a dance mom? I am a dance mother and uh, somewhat reluctantly. Uh, so, But my daughter, who is, is nearly 10, loves it and gets so much out of it. And I had to, I put in the acknowledgements of the book that they, uh, the woman who runs the dance studio my daughter goes to is the complete opposite of everything I've written in this book. It's a very welcoming and positive space uh, for all of the children. So, but it is, it's also quite alien for me because I'm no good at doing hair, for instance. And there are things, there are skills that, <laughs> that you know, I, I, I'm, I'm good at other mothering things, but the doing of the hair is not one that I'm, I'm good at for myself or, or for my daughter. But there's a whole lot of these, these skills that other people, other mothers seem to have. And I'm like, where did you get that skill? And how did I miss, miss out on that? So there is something in that dance world, even as welcoming and as relaxed and wonderful as this particular experience is, that I still feel somewhat alienated from. Yes. And the thing is that, um, that you, it, it's clear that you know a lot about the uh, about that world <laughs> from, from the book, um, but you also have this incredible... Um, 
observation of human behavior and noticing the little things that people do or that people think. Does that just, but you also, and I want to delve into this a little bit more, you're also a stand-up comedian, which I think is something that comedians need as well. Had you always had this acute observation um, just generally in your life? And what do you do to note it down so that you can remember it, to put it then in a story, you know what I mean? Mm. See, I, I think that I have always had that uh, interest in those small things that drive us and that we do and the mannerisms and the like. In terms of have I always been an acute observer, thank you, I appreciate that. Um, I'm, I'm not... Um, it was really just a matter of really trying to imagine what would it be like to be this individual and where would my where would my feelings of awkwardness come from if I was that person? Because I think that's what's really interesting is that if we all walk around thinking that we're the only ones who's awkward and that everyone else has their act completely together and that they're entirely relaxed in the situation. But actually, no one's ever looking at anyone else because we're too busy worrying about what we're doing wrong ourselves. So... So I think it's more, uh, maybe it's not that I'm an acute observer, maybe it's just that I'm desperately insecure. Um, I'm not I'm not <laughs> sure. I think that's part of it. And I think that's part of um, part of working in the arts is that you're always trying to explore something in yourself and, and in others. Um, I think that um, that acute observation, though, those little nuances that you describe about whatever the point of view character is seeing, feeling, or just observing, you know, because what you choose to observe tells some tells the reader something about yourself it really gets you into the head of um of the point of view character uh so i think you've done it absolutely absolutely brilliantly what did you need to do because you've got um the two mothers there's simone there's bridget they're from different demographic backgrounds they live in different kind of worlds except they have the shared experience of the dance world what did you have to do to get into the heads of these two um, I, I hesitate to say very different women because there's a lot of commonality as well but um women from very different backgrounds so they're both they're both lonely and I think that's what drives a lot of a lot of their insecurities but also their uh Brittleness. So I think that's where I started from initially. It's like, what is driving these women? Why are they, why are they acting the way they are, and why are they seeking to come together? And you know, again, no spoilers here, but they try to form a friendship, and it doesn't quite fire particularly well because that would not be an interesting book. So, um, but in order to, I, you know, I started to think a lot about. I went back and did like, well, when were they born, and what was the experience? You know, what was their growing up experience like? And so if you were born in a particular, if you were born in 1989, you're going to have a very different life experience and perspective than me born in 1969. So I actually went back and did that and started to map out what is the life of these women. So I could, because I think understanding age differences is a really important one in understanding experience. So for instance, my um, uh, uh, Simone prefers it pronounced Simone. Thank you, Valerie. She's not a Simone. She's my fan. <laughs> but, uh, but so she she was born. 
she grew up pre-internet and I think that for those of us who had our teens without the internet there you, you you have an entirely different experience than people who were born 15 20 years later who grew up with the internet so it was a matter of going back and sort of starting that and going okay what when was when's their birth date and where were they born and what was their family situation like what was their education like have they traveled much what sort of you know, what, what do they, what are their tastes? What are their likes and their dislikes? Now, unfortunately, I didn't do this in the beginning when I should have. I kept having to kind of go back and reacquaint myself with them. And I had a bit of a problem when I first wrote this book with the two voices because feedback I was getting was it feels like the same voice in many instances. So I really had to go back and get to know them personally in order to understand what those differences would be and how I could dial those up within the story and make them very separate characters. That's really interesting um, because you've also chosen the uh, first person for both Bridget and S- Simone. <laughs> um, but that was, and that really gets you into their, their, their heads. Um, you've chosen third person limited point of view for the children when, when, you know, the children are, it's scenes with the children, mainly from the one of the children. Um, so what were the, what was the thinking behind all of the, those choices? When I first started the book, I had a really different structure to the one that I've got now. I had a very uh, fancy structure, which was going from uh, the end of the flight to the beginning, solely from Bridget's perspective. And then I did all of the action for the children and then picked it up at the beginning of the flight to the end of the flight from Simone's perspective. Now, what I wanted to create with this was a kind of sixth sense experience that, you know, in the end of the book, you're starting to look back at the other character's perspective and go, I saw that through your eyes, but it's actually totally different elsewhere. Now, sadly, I'm not, I think that was a bit of a high wire act for a first time novelist. So, and I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't execute it the way uh, it needed to be executed. And I had some great readers talk to me about this. And one of them said, unfortunately, reading the second character's perspective, sometimes it felt like I was on a long-haul flight. And it's like, mm, that's not what I wanted to achieve. But it was really helpful uh, advice. And it took me it took me a long time to let go of that structure. But that structure led me into the first person thing because I really wanted it to be from one one character's perspective and then for the reader to really buy their point of view and the outrage and everything else. But then to get that sense of um, um, the sort of, okay, well, can I trust you, what you told me in the beginning? And, and you know, there's a few, a few books that I, I looked at for inspiration in that sense where in towards the end of the book and I won't I won't say what they are in case that's a spoiler for anyone but there are a couple of really helpful novels where I went that's what I want to create for the reader but I couldn't I couldn't do it but what I could do in that was and and that's when I had to really differentiate the voices and then I realized at one stage I probably need to strip this back to a much more linear time frame because of course then I was losing the stress of the if you're moving away from the destination, the time's not speeding up and the like. So, but it, it necessitated the, the first person. So it sounded, it sounds like you started with themes that you wanted to explore and a setting where you could explore them. Did you know, 
what was going to happen when you started writing? No, I didn't. And and I did, I, when I got, there were a couple of times when writing this that I thought, does enough happen here? You know, there's characters here and there's themes, but is there enough action? So I actually had to go and put some further action into it because, you know, again, a long-haul flight, we've, we've all done them and you're just hoping that it ends, really. So, but again, not the experience I was trying to create. <laughs> But also, it's just a device, I think it's important for readers to know that even though it's set on this flight and it's the timeline of this flight, it, it there are the, every character thinks of scenes that have occurred well before the flight or in in their childhood or yeah. you know in 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 the past. So there's flashbacks and there's um stuff that's occurring outside the flight. It's just the device that you're using um in this particular story. So when you were um, writing it then, at, at any stage did you kind of plot things out or did you just kind of free and easy <laughs> see what comes out? Uh, so I was sort of free and easy in the beginning, got myself a draft, and then I had to go into uh, some much more intense plotting. So the first draft was probably only about 30,000 words and um, and so the book, I think it's it's just 85,000 or something is what it's ended up being. Um, but uh, so then I had to go back and, and, and take a look at that. But I also, it was a very difficult exercise in trying to keep control of the timelines and what was happening where. And I, I felt it was almost like I can't see the edge of the map here sometimes that I'm just sort of coasting around in, in 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 the middle and not knowing quite where the edge is. So there were a number of times that I had to really stop and go through a process of, I had an Excel spreadsheet of what happens in each scene, who is in there, and then I went and, and, and made that up. And then I went through that and went, well, what of that is still necessary? And so that was, a, it was just a very structural process in reviewing that. Um, so I just want to um, talk a little bit about your background because I reckon you and I met, I'm going to say eight or so. No, it must be more than that. I think it's more than that. So I was looking no. at this the other day. You were in North Sydney upstairs, so maybe 2006 or seven. No, no, no. Two, I, oh, yes. It could it be. In the first North Sydney place and then you yes, went around the back. Yes, yes. So anyway, we met ages ago and I think back then you were in corporate. I was, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Were you at Vodafone? Yes. Yeah, well <laughs> Oh, done. my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And um, I remember bumping into you in the change rooms at Fitness First in <laughs> Chatswood yeah. where we were talking about stuff. But anyway, you were... Um, but that is back way back then when you were in corporate, you did a whole bunch of courses yeah. at the Australian Writers' Centre. Now, just cast your mind back to then. What were you doing that made you think, oh, I want to explore the world of writing? Because you did heaps of courses mm. with us. What did you, what, what was happening then at the time? Entirely say, but I think it was a vague sense of dissatisfaction with my life that there wasn't enough I didn't have enough creative outlets in my life and I really enjoyed writing and really enjoyed reading so that, I think the first course I did was a feature writing course and mm. um and then I did travel writing 
I can't even remember what else, but many, you, you are one of the mothers of this book, Valerie Koo. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so so what I, I was looking for, I, I don't know, I was looking for something and the world of magazines and newspapers and feature writing really appealed to me. And so I think that's why I went into it. And the, the process of, and I, I think it was a Tuesday night, I can't remember, but um, uh, I would go along to these courses and we would, and then I would meet my then partner, now husband, over at the Kirribilli Hotel. And I was just so, um, so charged with excitement after every session. It was just, I think, being somewhere and I'm, I'm talking about an ambition that I have here and other people around me are taking that seriously and I'm learning about that and I can really, I can really see myself um, becoming a writer if I continue to put the work in. And it was a really, yeah, it was really, I, I very much remember that as an important time in me taking myself seriously as a potential writer. That's the key, isn't it? You need to take yourself seriously for yeah. it to happen. But you obviously did that and you obviously put the work in because, you know, I started seeing your byline which was absolutely fantastic, you know, gave me such a thrill to when, when I see students' bylines out there. But then what I wanted to talk about is you then moved into stand-up comedy. <laughs> How in the world <laughs> did that happen? So that was, I started stand-up comedy about four years ago, so long after I was writing. And this is my uh, third third manuscript, first sort of novel, first one to get published and out into the world. But writing writing long-form fiction, it's such a lonely existence and you write for such a long time and then you get feedback, usually negative, and <laughs> then you go back into the lonely world again. And I, I really think that starting stand-up comedy for me, because it has an immediate feedback loop and it's a different type of writing, um, I think it was what gave me the sustenance to to finish this book and to it, I think it certainly improved my long form fiction writing, doing stand up comedy writing and performing because it gave me that I guess that sugar hit, um, but also the uh, validation of the the the, the feedback. You know, if you've written a joke and it's not funny, you will know that immediately upon it coming out of your mouth. But if you've written a joke and it's funny and you get half the room laughing, it's like, all right, well, that's that's good, but it's not there yet and I can improve upon that. So the two things really started to, I think, sort of feed one another, which was really nice. So that's really interesting. But the thing is, when you, I mean, a lot of people write long-form fiction and their immediate response isn't, oh, I'll become a stand-up comedian. <laughs> Where did it come from? Um, I think I was looking for things that were scary to do. So I did a, um, I saw a, a call out for contestants on hard quiz and I did hard quiz in, I think it was 2017 and I loved it. I had such a great time. It was a real, it was a great positive experience for me and then it finished and then I did, uh, then I saw a call out for contestants for Think Tank and I went and did Think Tank and again it was the same experience and I just loved it and I was doing a bit of radio because I had a blog on uh, cocktails and uh, 
cocktails in the media and, and, and I reviewed all of the International Bartenders Association classic cocktails and then where do they sit in popular culture and the like. And so I was doing a fair bit of radio um, on ABC 702 mostly and, and again, I really loved that. So I think those things just gave me a bit of a, a, a bit of a yearning for this being on my feet, having that um, that that adrenaline surge of having to to think in the moment and try to be clever and witty, or at very least not sound like a fool. And I enjoyed that. And then it was it was a case of thinking, well, where do I go with this? Then how do I how do I progress that? So. I signed up for a stand-up comedy uh, gig, which was my first gig was the Raw Comedy, which is the uh, Melbourne International Comedy Festival open mic gig. And it was the first um, the first gig I ever did. So other people will, will, will go for years in stand-up before they do that because you only get three shots at this thing. And if you happen to win it, it's quite a big game changer for, for comedians. And, uh, spoiler alert, I'd never won it. But but my first ever gig was there because I thought, well, I know when I'm going to be on. I know how long. I know what the rules are. I know how to how to succeed um, in, in this because a lot of it, open mic, it's just show up, hope you get on on the night. And I thought, oh, that just makes me feel sick to sit there all night and wonder if I'm going to get on. I want to know. So my first gig was there, which was, you know, I now realise was a complete waste. But it wasn't It wasn't a disaster. And and. It was because I just worked hard. I thought I don't care if it's the funniest. I do care that I'm well prepared and that I managed to deliver it. And that was my point of success. And um, so I did that and and it went okay. And then I thought I never need to do that again. And a year later, I thought I need to do it again. So, <laughs> Oh, my God, because it's so different, isn't it? Because it is, is as you say, it's so immediate, whereas writing a novel is very um insular and very isolating so what was it like when you finished did you kind of know you know what I've 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 got or I've I nailed everyone's feedback I mean I've incorporated everyone's feedback that I think is relevant and I'm really happy with the book how did that feel um there was never a day that I went that's it it's done there there was a because a firm press, um, the publisher there, Kelly Dow, said, we really like this, but are you really willing to work on it? Because we think there's some improvements that can be made. And it's like, of course I'm willing to work on it. Um, you know, if you're willing to stand by me, then I'm willing to, you know, work with you. So it became, it was after I'd signed the contract with them that it became a much better book, uh, I think, through as a result of that that feedback there and some from so there was some some structural stuff there and then there was a big rewrite and then it went into a more sort of line editing process and there was some really good stuff in there about consistency and and the like so so it's sort of it's it's weird it wasn't the day I think that there, there were a couple of days there was a day that um, the day that I signed a contract with them, it was like that's exciting. And then the next time it was that exciting was when my editor said to me, "Well, your book today has gone to the printer." And it's like, okay, wow. And so those were rather than at a moment with me and the manuscript, it was more those moments that I went, "Well, this I will allow myself to acknowledge is a is a point." Um, but I think because I've been at it for so long. 
Yeah. Below, I don't know. Is it ready? Who knows? I thought it was ready last <laughs> time. <laughs> so what's the plan now? Are you writing your next one? I am. I'm um I'm grappling with it. I think the second half of this year I will be doing more intense writing. So at the moment I'm sort of I'm in the field of ideas and I have many notes and I've got some stuff that I'm I'm working on, but I'm not, you know, sort of bum in the seat intense writing at the moment. I think that will be the second half of the year and I'm just just trying to let ideas percolate. Um, and I think, you know, what this, in finally writing a book, as, as I said, this is my third manuscript, but I think I get the process a whole lot better now. And maybe that was the comedy thing too because actually you can learn a lot about what are the rules of writing a feature article? What are the rules of writing stand-up comedy? What are the rules of writing long-form fiction? And there are rules, and if you understand those and understand how to apply them, it becomes a lot easier. And I think for some reason I didn't understand how to apply them in long-form fiction until sort of somewhat recently in the in the end stages of this book. Mm -hmm. And so with... Um... Uh, as we mentioned, before you discovered the world of writing, you were in corporate, full-time corporate. You you did courses at the Australian Writer Centre on the side to discover what was possible. Talk to me about what the mix is in your life now. How much corporate, how much writing, how much comedy, how much, you know what I mean? Yeah. What's the mix now? Um, it's I have a small consultancy now where I do PR work for a number of of clients uh, because the lights still need to be kept on. Um, and the uh, <laughs> it's depressing to to say that we probably can't afford to do that as writers in Australia, most of us. But so that's probably about maybe forty to fifty percent of my working week is there, and then I spend about another. 30% on writing or generating ideas. So at the moment, I'm just desperately trying to build the prof my profile and the profile of the book because, you know, that's is, there's so much work that's gone into this. It's out in the world. I want to really give that its best chance. Now, and so that means pitching articles to editors and the like, trying to work out different avenues where I might be able to write something that people, so, you know, writing a it needs to be something written in my voice for it to be useful to me from that uh publicity perspective so uh and they're not as yeah that that's that's a different exercise i think than a different type of pitching so be about 30 percent that and about 20 percent writing at the moment be that comedy or um, my next novel so and that's why i'm saying that in the back half of this year i think i'll go more it will balance more towards writing and less towards trying to generate publicity for myself and for the book because it's like well now is the time that now is the time that this baby needs the most attention um, yes yeah. well I think it's absolutely brilliant and everyone yeah. should get get themselves a copy because I think it's just so cleverly done and so well written as I said your gift is this you know I've even sort of um written down some of the turns of phrases that you've used because I'm like that is so true and I only would have thought of it because she wrote that, <laughs> you know, but I knew inherently I thought of it, if you know what I mean. Your, like I said, your uh, keen sense of observation is something that really comes across on the page. And I think it's very, very, um, very, very well done. Thank you. Um, 
so congratulations on this book. I absolutely cannot wait to read the second one, whatever your second one is going to be. So make sure you keep us updated on that. Let's end with now that you come out at this end, <laughs> you know, uh, hopefully unscathed, what are your top three tips to people who are in the throes of writing their first manuscript and they want to um, make sure it's the best that it can be based on the experience that you've had so far? I think doing courses is a great way to not only learn the craft but to meet other people who know how to provide good feedback on a manuscript because you know you can give it to friends and they go oh it's great and then if you say can I have some constructive feedback it's like oh well why was she wearing a red dress I thought maybe blue you know so, so it's not it is a it's a skill and I think um writers and obviously people who are in the publishing industry have that skill. But if you are doing courses, it, 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 I think it feeds on so many different levels. And, I mean, obviously there is, there is a temptation. You can procrastinate and just do courses that you have to be doing the writing as well. But it, it helps keep you in the writing space in terms of your belief in yourself. You're investing in yourself there. You are with other people with similar ambitions and therefore you can bolster one another but also that getting the critical readers is um you know I absolutely would not be where I am with this novel without some very brave and specific feedback from some people who read my novel and I'm very grateful uh, for that so that 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 is my biggest tip is it's like build your build your community um of people who you can ask for help with your uh, with your writing the second one I don't, I, it's no great I, you know no one's going to put this on a coffee cup but you know it's just bum in the seat it's just and it won't feel good um I've got some great little apps I've got an app called forest and I set it for the amount of time that I want to write for and if I look at my phone and if I get through that amount of time it grows me a little tree and if I look at my phone in that time, I have a dead tree on my plot, on my daily plot. And that's really good for me because it allows me to go, well, I'd like a bigger tree in that garden or I've got four trees today. And they might only be four lots of 25 minutes or something, but actually you can get an enormous amount done if you go, this is my focus time. So, so I think that bum in the chair but doing it smartly and working out how you, you know, how you operate and what you, you know, I'm a massive procrastinator so I really need to set myself the, I don't want to kill the tree so that's a good one. They should give me cats, I'd never stop, I'd never stop riding. It's like if you're going to kill the cat, no, I can't. Um, and a third tip, I, I read widely, I get, I not just read widely, consume widely. So I watch the first season of White Lotus at a really critical time in the rewrite for this book. And I, I didn't realise at the time how helpful that was. And it wasn't until I rewatched it uh, this year and I realised, gosh, that was so, so influential for me. Um, I was on a long-haul flight and I watched the whole thing and I thought, this is amazing. Didn't know that I was absorbing that as such an important influence at the time. Um, but I think that's the thing. It's not just what you read, but you know, consume consume art uh, smartly and and I guess a little bit. Um, 
opportunistically, you know, just make sure that you, you know, you are seeking the opportunity to to grow from other people's work like that. Brilliant. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today and congratulations on We Only Want What's Best. Thank you. Honestly, nothing makes me happier than seeing our graduates follow their dreams. So I am so thrilled for Carolyn on so many levels. Now let's move on to, well, I have a fun fact for you. So you might be familiar with egg corns, E-G-G-C-O-R-N-S, egg corns. It's when you mishear a common phrase and say it in, you know, let's say a new and interesting way. So you might say, for all intensive purposes, when it should be for all intents and purposes. A couple of years ago, there was a survey in the UK to find the most common egg corns. And these are some of my favourites from the top 10. One, and you hear this sometimes, is to be Pacific, meaning to be specific. Uh, Another one is an escape goat instead of a scapegoat. Another is um, a damp squid instead of damp squib with a B at the end. And one you hear all the time, nipped in the butt, but it's meant to be nipped in the bud. Or people often say on tender hooks, but they mean on tender hooks. And of course, there's cold slaw instead of coleslaw. And another one I've heard recently is a doggy dog world, like doggy dog world instead of dog eat dog world. <laughs> we actually have a lot of egg corns in our hugely popular Q&A series, which is emailed via our weekly newsletter. And if you're interested in, in signing up for our weekly newsletter, just go to writercenter.com.au slash news. Now we've come to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for um, joining me this week. It's such a privilege to be able to chat to you every week and um, I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Whether you're doing the laundry, you're going for a walk or taking out your dog, hopefully not in a dog-eat-dog world and um, uh, I hope you get something out of the podcast each week. Feel free to connect with me on social media. I'm at Valerie Koo. That's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram. And I live my other life over at ValerieKoo.com. And of course, do connect in the Facebook group. If you haven't joined yet, I'd love to see you in there. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentercomau slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.